Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. We are on week number three of our series called The Me That I Want to Be. If you're new with us, I'm going to just kind of quickly reset. We said that with the new year, often there comes a new possibility and new horizons. And that often means new resolutions of one form uh, or another uh, that we commit to to bring about growth and personal change in the year that is to come. I believe that in each of us, we have this vision or this idea of this better version of me that exists somewhere out there. We're not sure, but we know it lies in the future, uh, somewhere in future space, the me that I want to be, the future me that I want to become. And so uh, the improved me. So every year we commit ourselves to this idea of stepping into the future and becoming the better version, the me that I want to be. We've said uh, that this future vision uh, of ourselves lies in the future, and we'll go ahead and do some drawings with you. I told you uh, I uh, uh, was a uh, art major in, back in second grade, uh, and so we said that, well, there's this me that I see, but over here is the me that I want to be, and the me that I want to be, we said this is kind of the me 2.0, right? This is the better version of me. This is the in-shape me, and so we'll put some little ripped six-pack abs there. for th- That's the, the in-shape version of me, right? That, that's the disciplined me. That's the better Christian version of me. That's the better mom, the better dad, and that's the person who is kind and loving and forgiving. But the challenge is, is that over here is the original 1.0 version of me. And this is, well, we'll make him a little bit heavier because that's the, the gut there. So that's, that's the, the me that I see. It's, it's the real me. It's the me that maybe people don't see when they're looking at me because I know things that you don't know. And so there is this struggle between the me that I see and the me that I want to be. We said that there is a gap that lies uh, between us, between the me that I see, the me that I want to be. And there's tension in that gap. There's all kinds of struggle in that gap. And there's challenges that take place in that gap because the movement from 1.0 to the 2.0 version of me does not happen easily. The 1.0 version of me does not want to die easily, and change does not come quickly, and it's difficult. And we're left believing, especially spiritually, that, that this gap here between the me I see and the me that I want to be, or the me that I'm called to be, we're left thinking, especially spiritually, that I can close this gap by some heroic effort on, of my own. That if I could just try hard enough, that, that if I could just put the right things together, that if I would have great enough resolve, that I could close that gap. And we're left perpetually frustrated because that gap seems to never be closed on our own. And so we've been asking on week one, what if closing the gap is really not our project? What if closing the gap is his project? That's what Paul says in the church of Philippi, where he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is, look, the, the fire that started in you, the change that started in you, you didn't start it. And so ultimately, you can't complete it. You can't close the gap on your own. Isn't this what Jesus 
was, this is what Jesus was talking about in John 15, where he says, look, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And if you remain connected to the vine, if you remain close to me, attached to me, you will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. We could kind of, you know, paraphrase that a little bit, where Jesus says, if you stay close to me, if you stay close, something will begin to occur in you, and the gap from the me you see to the me that I've called you to be, I will begin to close the gap, not because of a greater effort upon your part, doing something that's working supposedly for somebody else, and you try to do it, even though it's not in your makeup and it's not how you're designed, that Jesus says, if you stay close to me, I will close the gap. Week number two, we unpacked a common challenge found in the gap, and that is, how do we maintain focus? We said, because look, we're pulled in every direction, and if we're not careful, our thoughts will be hijacked, and we will begin to think about things that are actually harmful to our cause. We said this, that whatever you focus on, you magnify. So whatever it is in your life that you set your gaze to, whatever you focus on, you will magnify that. You will make it bigger in your life. And whatever you magnify, you focus on. And so if you focus on disappointment, you will magnify the disappointment in your life. And when you magnify the disappointment, you focus more on the disappointment. And when you focus more on the disappointment, you will magnify the disappointment. And the cycle continues to go. It works on, on, in every area of life. Whatever you focus on, you magnify. And whatever you magnify, you focus on. And so we asked the question, well, then what should we begin to focus on? And so we said, well, what about this? What if we begin to focus on the good, right? If the battle takes place in the mind, what if we begin to train our thinking to think about things which are good? And Paul, again, speaks wisdom into this area. He says, brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts. Or we could say, hey, focus on these things. Whatever is true and whatever is honorable, whatever is right and pure and lovely and admirable, think about things that are, that, that are, are excellent and are worthy of praise. Paul says if you're going to focus on something, focus on the good. Focus on the good in your marriage and magnify the good. If you focus on the bad, you will magnify the bad, which will cause you to focus all the more on the bad, which will cause you to magnify that, and the cycle continues to repeat. We said, number two, what about this? What if we focus on the future? Again, Paul speaks, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself uh, yet to have taken hold of it. Right? Paul's saying, I'm living between the gap. There's the me that I'm called to be, and there's the me that I see. I haven't gotten to where I want to be. I'm living in the gap. I've yet to take hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says, look, the one thing I've come to understand is living in the gap. I can't keep looking backwards. And I cannot step into what God has for me in the future if I'm living in a self-made cell in the past, a self-made prison in the past. And so Paul says very clearly, this one thing I've learned, I have to let the past lie and focus on the future. And then finally, number three, we said, here's the most important to focus on the Savior. Hebrews 12, the author says, and let us run with perseverance the race. We could say the race is the gap, right? From the me that I see to the me that I'm called to be, and that is the race. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes, or we would say focus 
Whatever you focus on, you magnify. Fix your eyes. Focus on Jesus so we may magnify Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith, other translation says, the champion who initiates, I love this, and perfects our faith. And so if you're going to focus on something, why not focus this year on Jesus himself? Now, you can listen to both of those messages to get caught up on our podcast. I encourage you to listen to them if you want to set a good tone for yourself for 2018. Here's an opportunity for you. Today, we're going to do week three on the me that I want to be, and we're going to focus on the word of surrender. There's an important question that occurs in between the gap, between the me I see and the me that I want to be, and, and, and the question that each of us will be asked is, will it be my will or thy will? And this is a question that we're asked numerous times a day. Is, is, is it really, in the gap living, is it going to be about my will or will it be about his will? In other words, it's asking the question, uh, what is my life going to be about? It seeks an answer to, to, to ask, it seeks an answer to the question, who's going to lead in the gap? Who has ultimate authority in the gap? Who has final say in the gap? And so we're going to unpack that a little bit, because if you find yourself continually stuck on the me that I see, it's probably because one of the three modes of life, of living, that we're going to discuss today has you tripped up and you're continually stuck in the starting blocks and not being moved forward, not under your own effort, but by the transformation power of Christ and the Holy Spirit, it's just not happening. And we're going to unpack that a little bit so we could see what that looks like. The gap presents three options or modes of living, and they really determine the distance and the traction of moving forward. Now, some of you, you can say, hey, there's been periods of my life when there was no traction moving me towards the me that I want to be or the me that I'm called to be. And others of you will have periods of life where you say, man, it just seems like God was just yanking me closer and closer, transformation and life uh, taking place inside of me. And so we're going to look at how we traverse these three options. So join me as we pray. Lord, I I, uh, pray that uh, our hearts would be ready and open, our minds would be awake and alert. I pray that there would be uh, an excitement in studying the Word of God I pray that there would be an excitement about the future that you have for us, that there would be an excitement of the the life transformation and change that you want to start in each of us and then complete in each of us over our faith journey, that it's nothing that we need to manufacture on our own, that if we stay close, you do the rest. And so today, I pray you would speak words of encouragement, words of hope, words of life over us as we receive our offering. Let us give uh, out of a heart that is joyful. Let it be a reminder that we place you first, even over financial things. Let it be an avenue of worship for us as we give our first back to you. Pray, Holy Spirit, to be upon us. Bless every person here with a fresh insight to your truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first option for living in the gap is this idea of I want what I want, and I want it now. Now, that should sound fairly familiar for most of us because we all grew up with this as children, and sometimes we've never grown out of that as adults, but this idea of I want what I want, and and I want it 
now. This is the Veruca Salt syndrome, if any Charlie and the Chocolate Factory people. No? Nobody? Okay, just me? All right, no Willy Wonka fans? All right. This is the, the I want it now daddy, right? And we kind of approach God as, as the cosmic daddy that God, I, I want it now and, I, and, and don't make me wait for it. Don't make me weigh the options. Don't make me look into the future and how this might affect me. I, I want instant gratification. And we see this numerous places in Scripture. One that sticks out is in Genesis 16. Uh, and it's the I want it I want what I want, and I want it now syndrome. And when they didn't get what they wanted, uh, they took matters into their own hands. We're going to look at the story of Abraham and Sarah. Then they were known as Abram and Sarai. It was before a name change, uh, but the same people. And they were given the promise to become uh, the mother, the father, uh, the, the patriarch, matriarch of a great uh, nation. And God took uh, Abram outside, took Abraham outside and said, look at the stars and count them. And as many as you see will be the number of your descendants. Later would become uh, Israel. But there was a big problem in that uh, Abraham and Sarah had no children. And in order to be the father and mother of many, you first had to be the father or mother of one. And so they were given this promise to uh, be a patriarch, matriarch of of a family. And uh, I'm just... uh, doodle with you again here. So uh, over here is, uh, um, let's talk amongst yourselves. Is, let me try this. So over here is Abraham. And his lovely wife, Sarah, who has a leg that is <laughs> gone out on her, apparently. And well, let's give her a little dress there. So, uh, and, and, and Abraham's happy because he had uh, a child, finally, right? He's going to have a, a child, and, and well, she's kind of sad because she's exhausted now that she's had a child. And, and so the promise was, was that they were going to be the parents. This is uh, representing of my artwork of the descendants of people that would come from them, right? And so there was the promise that was giving to them that, that they would be the, the father, the mother of a nation. But the problem was over here was who they really were. And over here was Abraham. And Abraham was really old. And he walked with a cane. And worse was his wife, who was even older. And she, we spare no expense here, she walked with a walker, right? And so, uh, we really, we spare no expense here at Reveal. You don't get this kind of stuff at CCV. Let me just tell you that much, okay? And so, there was this problem, right? There was, there was the, 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 the me that we're called to be, and then there is, hey, but this is the me that I see. And matter of fact, in Genesis 18, when an angel came to Sarah and said, you're going to have a child, the Bible says that she laughed out loud. And she said, have you seen me? And then she said, have you seen him? If you think I'm bad, he's worse, right? And so she laughs out loud because in her mind, I understand what you've said, but I also know what I see in the mirror. And between the two is this gap. And I don't know how the gap is ever going to be lessened because I am well past childbearing age. And so there is this tension that goes on. And when life doesn't turn out the way that they were expecting, they introduce a new player 
into the scene whose name is Hagar. And we're going to see how this plays out. Genesis 16. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. Now, Abraham was, you know, he's a righteous, God-fearing, upright man. Abraham said, all right. <laughs> Sounds good to me if you're sure about this. Uh, if you're sure, if you're sure. And so, you know, they, they, they wanted what they wanted, and they want it now. And let's not worry about future consequences. And, and you know, let's not worry about wisdom. And, and let's just be led by our emotions, because my emotions never lied to me in the past. Sure, your emotions have never lied to you in the past. And so they kind of come up with this plan on how to move forward. And as a result of their decision, Hagar gives birth to Ishmael. And pain and tension uh, and hardship for generations upon generations upon generations moving forward came because of this I want what I want and I want it now attitude. Now, here's what I'm sure of that none of us here have any stories of I want it and I want it now. Right? Because we would never do, well, we all have stories like that. We all have stories of how we wanted it and we wanted it now and we didn't worry about the future. We jumped. Anyone have debt because you just had to have it now? Yeah, we all do, right? Because I want it and I, I, I want it now. Often we live by this theology of happiness that if it makes me happy and it feels good, then it must be good and it must be God. And it seems so almost close to truth that why wouldn't God want me to be happy? So why wouldn't God want me to have this? I mean, it it sounds good, but, but how many times has our pursuit of what we thought would make us happy or taking matters into our own hands actually stagnate our forward momentum into becoming the people that God has called us to be? You know, I want what I want and I want it now. No thought of future consequences. So the next purchase the next relationship, the next move, the next job. or uh, I'm going to say it. They're making me so mad. I need to say it. I'm going to say it to them. Uh, baby, I lost my job today. Right? Because I, just, I, had, I, I need it and I want it now. And don't ask me to use any type of wisdom. It's full speed ahead. And many times we're stuck in the gap and we bring chaos and dysfunction upon ourselves, often because of our decision that focuses only on the immediate gratification. And if what drives our faith journey is the gratification immediately, then we're going to be in for a really rough ride. Here's the second option that presents itself in the gap, is that I want what God wants, but. This is when I want God in my life, but I want God to align with my life what I want for my life. There's some fine print where we leave ourselves in an escape clause. We... God, show yourself to me, but, and, 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 and direct me, but, and I'll follow you, but. In fact, I, I'm very confident that all of us here at one point or another have had a but in our life, and some of us right now have a really big but that's keeping us from moving, B-U-T, although the other one's funnier, that keeps us moving, this really big but that anchors us and keeps us from moving to becoming the people that God has called us to be. Because at some point, you'll start out with the person that you see, and you want what God wants, and you'll be moving towards the me that God's called you to be. But at some point, your butt is triggered. 
And when your butt is triggered, you're like, I don't know if I can step over this line. My butt's too big. And I can't get over this hurdle because my butt is too big. And, 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 and so we just, I'm going to go back this way. Right? Because I want what God wants, but, and that but causes all kinds of trouble. And we see a powerful example of this in Mark chapter 10. Jesus is having a conversation with a rich young man who is both wealthy uh, and holds uh, authority. And this man wanted to be a follower of Christ. And so he came to Jesus. He says, hey, what do I need to do to follow you? And Jesus understood something. He understood this young man's big butt. And so he says something to him. That's not a mandate for all of us. But what he was pointing out was you have a butt in your life that will keep you from following me. And here's what he says. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Notice the words are going to be difficult, but they're coming out of a place of goodness and concern. He said, one thing you lack, he said. In other words, if you want to follow me, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Notice the next verse, what it says. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Don't miss what was happening here. Jesus is not telling us all to go sell and give it to the poor. He was identifying the butt that was going to keep him from moving forward. And so he says, look, we both know that there's a problem, and the problem is, is that you don't own your stuff, your stuff owns you, and so if you want to come after me, we're going to need to get rid of the butt, and the butt in your life is your material possessions. See, I, I think one of the, the major problems we have in the Western church, my opinion, in this self-centered, consumeristic, meistic American church, and I'm including myself in that, is that oftentimes we approach faith with this condition of, I want what God wants but. I want what God wants, but, but don't mess with this part of my life. And I really want what God wants, but don't ask me to change. And I want what God wants, but don't push me. Don't cause me to become too religious. And I, I want what God wants, but, and, and here's what I know, I and we will never find traction and move closer to the me that we're called to be if a big but keeps getting in our way. And at some point, that butt has to be worked off. And it's not easy. There's a challenge that, that, that comes with it. Right? I, I, I want what God wants, but you know, I, I'm, don't expect me to, to be single. I want what God wants, but don't ask me to forgive because you don't know what they did to me. And I want what God wants, but don't ask me to serve because I'm busy. And I want what God wants, but don't ask me to be generous. I want what God wants, but don't expect me to abstain from sexual sin. And we, There's butts all over. Because we fall into this trap of I want what God wants, but there's some fine print. So ask yourself today, what is your big butt? What does that look like to you? Maybe on the way out someone needs to smack your big butt. <laughs> uh, that one went too far. I, I'm with you on that one. Third option presented within the gap living. If you don't like that line, my name's Mike Dink. All right. Third option presented in the gap, uh, and this is the one that brings us constant movement, and this is I want what God wants, period. Now, let me just say this. Typically when churches present this idea or when pastors do, it leaves us feeling rather hopeless because it's this idea when you read that, it's like, well, does that mean that the struggle is gone? Does that mean that I no longer wrestle with issues of faith? And, and, and sometimes that's what it, it looks like. 
Having the attitude of I want what God wants, period, does not mean that the struggle disappears. It doesn't mean that the struggle over flesh and spirit is gone. Paul, who wrote uh, a third of the New Testament, he says things like, the very man that I don't want to be is the man that I am right now. He says, I'm doing things that I don't want to do. In 1 Corinthians 9, he says that, I buffet my body to make it my slave. And the idea is, he's saying, I wrestle with my flesh so my spirit rules over my flesh. In other words, that my flesh becomes a slave to my spirit. Why? Because I don't want to do the very things that I don't want to do. And so this idea of I want what God wants, period, does not mean that the tension of our Christian faith has somehow uh, you know, disappeared. That tension continues. But it is an attitude of saying, God, whatever is presented, there's going to be some tension and some struggles that go on. But I will remove my butt, and whatever it is that you say, then I will begin down that journey. Journey may be difficult. Journey is going to take time. Yes, yes, yes. But it means that we're not turning back because God has asked too much of us. Isn't this what Jesus said in Luke 9, 23? You can accuse Jesus of a lot of things, but you can never accuse him of bait and switch. He said, then he said to all of them, he's like, hey, if you want to come after me, go ahead and put that next passage up, please. He says, if you want to come after me, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross. It's such a popular passage. We've all heard sermons on it, and and we've seen it dissected and unpacked, and and, and what is Jesus trying to say? And Listen, everybody knew in that culture what Jesus was referring to when he talked about a cross. They've seen criminals carry the cross to their place of execution. They've seen uh, rebellions and insurrections where they've lined the streets with crosses. And those who've tried to overthrow Rome were, were just, you know, countless of them being crucified. And so everybody knew that this idea of a cross meant that I need to die to myself, that I'm removing my butt. Deuteronomy 30, God presented two choices to his people Israel. And he kind of unpacked some stuff for them and said, look, I'm placing two choices before you. And one choice is life and the other path uh, is death. One path is blessing and the other path is uh, pain and dysfunction. And he said, my challenge to you is you choose which path you want to go down. In other words, God was saying, look, I can't choose it for you, but you can choose on your own. You have to make the decision which path you want want to go down. And that same uh, opportunity is being presented to us where God says, look, today I've given you two paths and you get to choose which path you want to go down. You get to make that decision for yourself. But often what we do is we spend so much time wrestling with the things of God, and we spend so much time wrestling with Jesus, we actually get ourselves into uh, a tug of war of sorts. So I'm going to need two um, helpers for this. Mario, you're there. If you'd come up, come on, I won't embarrass you. You don't have to say anything. And uh, uh, Liz, I'm going to call you up, if you don't mind, please. We get into this tug of war match with Jesus. You can stay there. So Mario, you get to represent God in this. Congratulations. And Liz, come on up. You're the devil. No, I'm joking on that part. <laughs> so you grab that and just, yeah, hold on to that white part. So uh, go ahead and take a step back. What happens often in our spiritual uh, journey is that w- if we've been around church long enough, we know what God wants from us. 
We understand what the Bible says, or at least the general ideas, but, but grab on with two hands there. We, 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 we understand it, and we really don't need another teaching. The, the problem is, is, is that we really haven't come to the I want what God wants, period. And so we're constantly pulling. Now, don't let her move you. We're constantly pulling. You pull a little bit harder than that. We're con- yeah, don't let her move you, because the whole illustration goes down if she moves you. There's a lot of pressure on your manhood right now, right? And so we know that, God, I know that you want me to forgive, uh, but I'm not sure. Keep pulling. But I'm not sure I can do that. And God's like, hey, I'm not budging. Guess what? I'm not moving on this one. Well, you're really getting into it now. Right on, brother. Right on. Manpower. Yes. All right. So uh, we, we, we have this constant pull. I, I know what God says about generosity, but I don't want to be generous. And so, and so we keep pulling. And eventually what happens is this tug of war keeps going and going and going until eventually we just say, okay, God, I surrender. And when we surrender, we say, God, I give up. But we look at it almost as a military conquest that God beat us and and now we begrudgingly, God, I give up and I'm not going to do it anymore and we're just angry about it. And we need to begin to look at surrender, right? I want what God wants, period. We need to stop looking at surrender in military terms of that we have been overcome by some evil force. When God speaks of, of surrender, it's not so much that we give up but it's more that we give in. Now go over to that side with him. And so the, the, the idea is, is that surrender is not that, that we give up and we just say, fine, I'm out. The idea is that we give in, which means we cross over to God's side and now with the same tenacity and the same passion and the same pull that we were pulling against God, we say, all right, now I'm gonna start pulling with God for the sake of the kingdom. Do you understand the difference? If we stay just say, if we finally just get angry because the pastor keeps saying we can't do what we want to do and, and, and you know, I got to give this up and God, you're taking away all my fun. And how many times have we heard that? The Bible's just a bunch of rules. And eventually we say, fine, God, you win. It's like, you're missing it. I don't want you to give up. I want you to give in. I want you to come over to my side and I want you to begin to pull with me everything that I value, everything that the kingdom's about, that together we begin to pull and that's how we begin to change lives and that's how you begin to move from the me you see to the me that God has called you to be. Let's give these guys a big round of applause. Thank you guys. Mario, we're getting a church tug of war team. You're the anchor, all right? We miss this, thank you, Liz. We, 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 we get this so wrong that, that we're, I want what God wants, period. I want what God wants, but. And we spend all this time in this tug-of-war idea. And then even when we give this idea of, all right, I want what God wants, it's almost begrudgingly. It's almost like, well, now God's taken all the fun out of life. And the idea is not to give up. The idea is to give in. Come over to the other side, and God says, I'm changing your focus. And with every bit of passion that you pulled against me, pull with me. Pull, pull your family. Pull your friends. Get involved in service. Start to stay close. Get involved in things that you've not done in the past. Let me begin to reorganize and reshape life because what you don't realize is going to happen is you're going to get stronger and you're going to be pulling more people into the kingdom. And together this is how the kingdom of God expands. And so we have choices in this gap that we find ourselves in. Isn't this what Jesus did in the garden where he's wrestling with God about the upcoming crucifixion? And uh, basically he said, look, God, if there is another way that this can go down, then I vote for plan B. 
If there's a plan B and I don't have to be whipped and beaten and pierced with nails and, and hang upon that cross, if there's any other way to do it, then so be it. Look, look at what he says in Matthew 26. This is going a little further. Father, he fell on his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it's possible, hey, can, can there be another way around this? May this cup be taken from me. And then he says the beauty of these words. Yet not as I will, but as you will. It's this idea of, all right, I want what God wants, period. And, and isn't Jesus just didn't give up, he gave in, right? He began to pull with the Father and, and pull towards the things of the kingdom and redemption. And, and, and th- this is the, the, the picture of what we get. I left you with this last week. I want to leave it with you again on this picture of Jesus. If we can pull it up, Hebrews 12. It says, and let us run with perseverance, the race, right? The gap marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, focus on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. Here's why Jesus is worth following. Go to the next line. He says, for the joy set before him, he, meaning Jesus, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The image of Jesus in the garden and praying to God, saying, look, if there's any other way, that this can happen. I'm voting for plan B. But if this is how it has to go down, author of Hebrews says there was some joy set before him. And that joy set before him was you. It was me. And so if we personalize it, it's Jesus praying in the garden saying, if if there's another way, then I vote for that way. But But if the cross means that Marty Kaiser 2,000 years later is going to be a worshiper, then I'll go to the cross. If there's another way, then, then I, I, I would really not looking forward to this, but, but if it means that Esther Walsh 2,000 years later is going to be a lover of Jesus, then let's go to the cross. That, that's what it's speaking of. right? You were part of that joy of, of, of what Christ was stepping into that you would be redeemed, that what was dead in you could finally begin to come to life, that kind of Jesus, in my opinion, is worth surrendering to. That kind of Jesus is worth, say, is worth saying, I want what you want, period. I know I'm going to struggle. I know there's going to be tension. I know there's going to be times I blow it. But, but my attitude now in following you, Jesus, I'm removing the bucks. And I'm moving towards you. That type of love, that type of God, that type of Jesus is worth saying, I surrender it all. And that's what I present to you. If you want 2018 to be different than 2017, to be different from 2016, it will take an attitude of saying, I want what you want, period. And beginning to move that direction, and the Holy Spirit will move you to the me that you have been called to be. Place before you are two paths. One leads to life, one leads to death. Pray with me. If you've never taken that step, if you don't know what that means to submit to Jesus, if you've never asked for your, your sins to be removed and to be forgiven, then this is where we start. 
This is where it begins. And so if you've never done that, and today can be your day, just throw your hand up. I won't embarrass you. Just say, this is the day. I want to make a decision to be a follower of Christ. I want to make a decision to begin to move towards him and live for someone other than myself. And I bless you in that struggle of making that decision because Jesus says, count the cost, understand what you're saying, understand what you're doing. Lord, I would pray for each one of us here at Reveal that we would wrestle with these three modes of living that we discussed. This idea of I want what I want and I want it now. And maybe we need to repent of that and we need to step away from it. Maybe it it has kept us perpetually in a place of, of no traction and no movement. Or maybe today you revealed our but. And maybe we need to repent of that. And we need to let it go. And maybe today we've made a decision to want what God wants, period. And not begrudgingly giving in, but coming over to your side and partnering with you and forming this church, this community, our community as a whole and our families for the sake of the kingdom. And so I bless you, Reveal. I bless you in your decision. I bless you in the tension and the struggle. And I bless you in your pursuit to stay close to Jesus. And then I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus will do what only Jesus can do. And as you stay close, he will produce the fruit. May the face of God shine upon you this week. May the hand of God gently rest upon you. May he meet your needs. And may he fill your spirit with all that you desire and seek from him today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to do two more of this week, if you, two more of this uh, series. Uh, For two more weeks, if you haven't invited anybody, it's not too late to ask them to come. Look forward to seeing you. If you're a guest, love to meet you. If you need prayer, let us pray for you before you go. We have people who would love to pray for you and join in what God is doing. God bless you guys.